Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It is so easy to become accustomed to and to get used to and to take for granted the many privileges that we have. I was having a discussion with with some of our students and, and, and some other individuals about what would be the best era in all of history to live in. It's a fun discussion to have. Talk about the the perks and the downsides of living in certain eras of history. But it doesn't take long before the conversation ends really quickly. And that is that we're currently living in the best era of all of history to live in. Now some of you hear that and you vehemently disagree. But you're wrong. Because we have iPhones. And we have internet. And we have air conditioning and running water and any other number of things that have taken hundreds of years and thousands of years to get to this point. Now, there's absolutely fun and and engaging things in, in any era of history, but we live in an unbelievable time. I mean, just, just think about this. We live in a time right now where what's happening in this body is being broadcast to, to anyone anywhere in the world that would want to watch. That's unbelievable. We, we are truly privileged to have the, the tools, the technology, and, and to live where we live. It's unbelievable. Well, it's, it's easy, it's easy to, to forget the privileges that we have. It's easy to take them for granted. My guess is that most of you don't wake up every morning and say, wow, 2017, what a time to be alive. Like those, those just aren't thoughts that are constantly and continually going through our head. Well, in our text this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is actually going to, going to kind of battle that mentality, what he's going to do and what what he's doing in this chapter is looking at a group of believers and telling them how well they have it. And the way that he's going to illustrate that is he's going to compare them to a hero of the faith that lived in an entirely different era. In fact, what Paul's going to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is he's going to essentially compare the old covenants and the new covenant. And he's going to look at the church that he's writing to and he's saying, you have it better. You have it better. You have a more glorious encounter with God. You have a more glorious experience than those who came before you. He's going to make that argument crystal clear in in verses 7 through 13. I want to read those just to bring us up to speed. This is not our our exact text this morning, but it helps us understand what Paul is talking about. Look at verse 7. But if the ministry of death, that's a reference to the law, the old covenant. If the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, 
How will the ministry of the Spirit, that's the new covenant, fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Paul's test case And the time periods that he uses ultimately to climax his argument is is not to compare the old covenant and the new covenant, but rather to compare those who are under those covenants. What Paul is going to do in this text is he's going to compare a hero of the faith, Moses. And he's going to compare him with, with the new covenant believer. Uh, of whom we are all members if you are a child of God. He's going to look at Moses and he's going to look at, at the New Testament believer and, and what he's going to say is Moses' experience as he received the law, that experience was amazing, but, but yours is better. Moses' transformation was incredible, but yours is more so. All that accompanied the coming of the law was glorious. But compared to what you have encountered, that glory has no glory. Because of how much glory is in the, 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 the new covenant, it surpasses it. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to compare two, essentially two transformations. The transformation of Moses and our transformation. And if I can give you the verdict before we even jump in, he says, ours is better. His was good. Ours is better. I want to draw our attention to this passage because it is, it is healthy for us to revisit and remember what God has done for us and what he is continually doing in us and then to rejoice in the fact. To, to rejoice in this fact with, with the observation that we are in a privileged position. So much so that, that heroes of the faith would desire to be in our shoes if they had the choice. I believe that. I believe that if Moses were given the choice to be in his position or yours, he would choose yours. And I think this text explains why. Moses' transformation is a fundamental part of our understanding of scriptures. And it's a, it was a, a key thought in the mind of the Jews. Moses' transformation is 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 uh, revealed to us in Exodus chapter 33. So to help us understand this passage well, I want to jump back into Exodus 33. Exodus chapter 33 is where uh, this, this passage is going to reference it time and time again. 
In Exodus chapter 33, Moses had, had just descended down from the mountain and seen the Israelites in, in idolatry. They had worshipped the golden calf. They had sinned greatly against God. Moses had, had destroyed the two stones in his anger. And God had said in regards to Israel because of their sin that he would no longer go with them. He would no longer accompany them into the promised land. In fact, that he would not even forgive them. So we enter in Exodus 33 into that scene. Moses is asking God, because of all that had just taken place, Moses is asking God to spare the Israelites. God had actually said that he would destroy Israel because of their sin. Moses is asking God to spare the Israelites for what they have committed. Verse 17 of chapter 33, the Lord says this to Moses. He grants his request. I also will do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. So God grants Moses' requests. He spares Israel from what he said he would do to Israel. Moses then responds to God's extension of his grace and extension of forgiveness by a fascinating and unique request. Look at verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. God extends forgiveness. Moses responds with a desire to see more of God. Show me your glory, Moses says. It's a bold request. It's a bold request. God's about to explain to him that that that, that request, if granted, would actually lead to Moses' death. No man can, can look into my face and live. But Moses makes the request. He says, show me your glory. And God says in verse 18 through 20, 19 through 20, he says this. I myself will make all of my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. So Moses says, show me your glory. He extends forgiveness. Show me more of you. Which, which on a side note is, is so insightful. That, that forgiveness when it is extended creates this desire in Moses to see more of God. And, and I hope that that's true of all of us. But God says to him though you cannot look into my face but I will show you my goodness I will show you all of my goodness and I will declare the name of the Lord to you so God tells Moses what he needs to do to get ready for this encounter to get ready for this 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 experience and so Moses does that all the way through the end of 33 into 34 Moses prepares himself for this encounter that he is about to have in which he will see the goodness of God And in verses 5 and 6, God stands by Moses. Chapter 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious 
slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Verse 8, then Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. God passes in front of him, explains his character to him. And Moses, uh, I love how this is explained. He, he makes haste to bow low. That's, 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 that's like Hebrew for he face plants. Just as quick as possible, he hits the ground. He bows low before God in utter worship for what he has seen. This is an incredible experience. God descends in the clouds, walks in front of him, reveals his character to him, shows him his goodness. Moses sees all this and he asks for forgiveness for his people again, that God would extend forgiveness because of their sin. And God grants it. And over the next several verses, God makes a covenant with Israel. All of this is being written down by Moses on stone tablets. God makes a covenant with Israel. And then we'll start in, in verse 28. We're told some of the effects of what happened in this glorious scene. Verse 28 of chapter 34. So he, Moses, was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So this, this lasted for quite some time. Moses is on the mountain with God 40 days, 40 nights. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's, he's solely devoted to being with God. And, and this encounter with God has some profound effects on Moses. We're told what those effects are in verses 29 and 30. It came about that when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, with God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. So, uh, wow. So Moses, after these 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God, comes down. He doesn't know it, but his face is shining. And it's not that he had a shiny face. It's that there's light pouring out from his face. So much more that everyone who sees him is terrified. They're not even coming near him because something insane, something incredible is going on with this man. Light is pouring out of his face. Can you imagine? This is just, I can't imagine seeing this. It's unbelievable the effect that Moses' encounter with God had on him. Everywhere he goes, face shining. They're putting a veil over his face. Because of the effect that this encounter with God has had on him. I cannot imagine I don't imagine how amazing that would be. It's often easy to think in, in our walks of faith that if I had ever had an encounter like that, then 
then remaining faithful to God would be a lot easier. It'd be a lot easier to be a light for the world if my face was literally a light to the world. (laughs) If I had seen what the disciples saw, if I had personally witnessed the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, or, or we could even modernize it. If I had a testimony like that individual, if I had been saved from that past, if I had, if I had her voice or his skill set or, or, or that person's charisma, whatever, my, my walk with God would be a whole lot more successful. But, but what Paul is going to tell us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is that while it may be tempting and may be easy to compare yourself to, to, to other walks and say, I, I would be a more successful believer or whatever if, if I had experienced that, what Paul says is that your encounter with God is more glorious than Moses. It's more glorious. It's better. It's a more amazing transformation. Moses was transformed significantly. But his transformation was not as great as yours. If you're a child of God, then you have undergone and are continuing to undergo a more amazing transformation. Now the goal of this this morning is not so that we are walking around feeling better than Moses. The goal, and the goal that Paul has, is that we realize the privileged position that we are in. That that we recognize how amazing it is what God has done and is continuing to do in us. That that if you are a child of God, it's amazing. It's it's unbelievable. And, And then that in turn drives us to worship him because of the privileged position that he's put us in. And so in this text... You can turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to focus in on verse 18 this morning. And in verse 18, Paul is going to give his readers six reasons to be amazed that God would transform you. And I want us to, that to drive us this morning as well. Six reasons to be amazed that God would transform you. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Before we jump into this first point, I want us to rightly understand that everything that was just stated in verse 18 is stated in contrast to Moses and what he endured when he met with God on the mountain. 
This whole verse is actually set up by verse 13. That we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Down to verse 19. But rather we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. There's a direct comparison here. A direct comparison between Moses and us. And so the first reason to be amazed is in, in comparison with Moses, the first reason to be amazed that God would transform us is because you have a personal access to God. You have personal access to God. Now, that is shown simply in the first three words, and they may seem insignificant, but it's actually a stark statement by Paul. Remember, he is comparing us with Moses and his first three words in verse 18 are, but we all. To rightly understand this, we need to understand Moses' role when he encountered God. Moses was a mediator. Moses' role in his job that God placed him in was to stand between God and Israel. The the Israelites didn't just have, not in the way that we do, open access to God. Moses had a very specific purpose, that that he, he went to God. He had a tent of meeting with God. He goes up on the mountain. All of Israel doesn't go up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Moses, as their mediator, goes, goes there He has 40 days and 40 nights with God and then comes back and and gives the message, gives the law, gives the covenant to the Israelites. Moses was a mediator. Moses was transformed in a very unique way on the mountain. But he alone was transformed in that unique way on the mountain. See, as as men and women uh, were were obedient to and encountered the, the law... Their faces didn't start to shine. That was Moses. But in contrast to Moses, Paul says that we all are being transformed. This is the one versus the many. Moses, as Israelites, as the Israelites' mediator, was transformed. But we all are being transformed by God. We all have direct access to God. Moses was the one who had direct access to God. But in the new covenant, we all have personal access to God. That's a change. There's a significant difference there. Every single believer, you, if you are a child of God, you have personal, ongoing, direct access to God. Do you realize how significant that is? Do you realize the the privilege that that is, that, that we have open access to God and that he hears us? That God would hear me, that God would hear you. As we seek forgiveness, as we ask him, as we make our requests known to him, as we approach the throne of grace with with confidence, it, it begs the question, what right do we have 
to communicate with, to, to approach God? The answer to that question is that we only have that right based on the work of Jesus Christ. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have that ability. And so, we're drawn to be amazed. We're drawn to be amazed that, that we would have personal access to God. Moses had personal access to God. But only in the role as a mediator. It's unbelievable. And, and we're, going, we're going to draw ourselves to that observation at, at the end of every one of these points that Paul's going to make. It's amazing. It is unbelievable. My, uh, my, my son, Ezekiel, is, is just now learning to talk and he's picking up on, on a few words here and there. One of the words that he's caught on to is the word wow. Uh, my wife and I say that a lot. Uh, and so we, 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 when, it, when it's a baby and you're trying to get him to eat his bananas or whatever, it's, it's everything is amazing. Everything is awesome. And so, you know, wow. Well, Ezekiel, Ezekiel's picked up on that and he whispers it. He doesn't say it or yell it. He's just everything that we bring before him. Wow. And, and, and I don't want to make light of it, but, but that's what I'm calling us to do this morning. That's what Paul is calling his hearers to do. To behold this truth, to behold their privileged position and say, wow. To be amazed. And in that amazement, to be drawn to give thanks and praise and worship to our God. Because he's given us a privileged position in which we have personal access to him. It's a motivating thing. So remember that. Utilize that. Don't take that for granted. That God hears us. That we can come to him like Moses did. But he was a mediator and we all have this access. Well, Paul continues, but we all with unveiled face. We're going to stop again after just those next three words. Paul says, but we all with unveiled face. And that brings us to the second reason to be amazed that God would transform you. The second reason is that your transformation doesn't fade. Your transformation doesn't fade. And it may be curious to, to, to say that that is drawn from the statement with unveiled face. To properly understand this, we need to ask the question, why did Moses put a veil over his face? It's a good question. It's an important question. Because at first glance, it would seem that Moses put a veil over his face because the light shone so brightly. But when Paul tells us about the veil, he actually attaches a different reason to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of of what was fading away. And Paul says in comparison in verse 18, but we all with an unveiled face. Okay, so Moses' face is shining. This is the effect that his encounter with God on the mountain has upon him. When he comes down, he puts a veil over his face. And if the question is why, Paul answers that. Moses actually puts a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not ongoingly recognize that his glory was fading away. 
That's what's said in verse 13. He put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not look intently at the end of what was fading. See, Moses' face actually faded over time. When he came down from the mountain, it shined brightly. But over time, his face faded. And what Paul indicates is that Moses put the veil over his face because he didn't want the Israelites focusing on that, on the fading glory. We're actually told that as Moses would go back and talk with God, that, that his face would shine again. But that there was, this, there was this process of like his face was shining and it would fade and his face would shine and it would fade and then it would shine again and with every encounter with God, it would shine again. Your transformation is not like that. Your transformation doesn't fade. If you are a true believer, transformation is an ongoing, increasing process. Moses' transformation faded. Our transformation does not. It's essential that we understand the direction of, of transformation, the direction of sanctification. Pastor Rick just, just recently was preaching through Romans chapter 12 in, in which Paul talks about the fact that we are being transformed by the renewal of our mind and, and the rest of Romans 12 and 13 and 14 are looking at that, that transformation process being changed. It's ongoing. It would have been a misunderstanding to say that, that we have all arrived at everything that's described there in all of those chapters. It's an ongoing process, but we're being transformed. Our minds are being renewed and we're growing in sanctification. That's what the, the life of a believer is. It's an upward trajectory. Now, that, that's not to say that there aren't difficult times and that there aren't dips in the midst of that, of that trajectory. We were, at, we were at camp with our students this summer and there was, there was an excellent illustration of, of the Christian life in a picture. Uh, Gunnar Gunderson was here. Uh, he, he preached in our summer preaching series. And one of the illustrations that he used for what sanctification looks like is the illustration of a person with a yo-yo going up and down, but he's walking upstairs. And so you have this yo-yo and it's going up and down and, and, and there's a sense where the, where the Christian life is like that. But the guy using the yo-yo is walking upstairs. So, so the Christian life is kind of like this. As he gets higher, the yo-yo may be going up and down, but, but there is growth. It's an excellent picture. And it's what Paul's emphasizing in this passage. That we all do not need a veil on our face because our transformation doesn't fade. Our transformation is an ongoing process of growth. We are being transformed. I, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of an ongoing transformation process happening in your life. Paul just makes the assumption that this is true in the life of a believer. That if the grace of God has been extended to you, if you're a child of God, that, that we're being transformed and we don't need a veil to cover our face because we're not like the transformation of Moses. Uh, as I see this, there, there is a necessary internal examination of am I being transformed? Am I being changed? Do I see growth? Because that is the effect of your encounter with God. 
A transformation that doesn't fade. That brings us to a third reason. A third reason to be amazed that God would transform you. A third reason is because you can see Jesus. You can see God. Paul's next statement is that we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Moses asked God if he could see his glory. God responded to Moses by saying, I will show you my goodness. It's important to note that Moses, as we're told in Exodus, Moses did not see God's glory. He saw his goodness and his character explained. God was careful to communicate to him that if, if you look face to face into my glory, you die. And so he showed him his goodness. But look at what Paul says in verse 18. We are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We get to see something that Moses never got to see. We behold the glory of God. Now what does that mean? What is God's glory and how do we behold it? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul actually explains what the glory of God is, or rather who the glory of God is. Verse 6, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. Jesus is the glory of God. It, it is in the face of Jesus that the glory of God is seen. That's what Paul explains in chapter 4 verse 6. See, we see this elsewhere in scripture as well. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, we're told that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. The, the shining of God's glory. So Paul says that we behold as in a mirror the glory of God. What he means by that is we see Jesus. We see him. How, how do we see him? How, how is it that Paul can say with confidence that we see something that Moses didn't see? We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, in a word, the way that we see Jesus is through our Bible. We see Jesus through the gospel. Now, we may have some, uh, some significant differences in, in what translations render this statement as in your own Bibles. Uh, some, some may leave out that statement as in a mirror, beholding the glory of God. The word, it's, it's a single word that's used there and it's a word that, that, that 
refers to beholding something, but every time that it's used, it's always in, in looking in a mirror. There, there's a reflective nature to it. That we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. So there's something that Paul says we are looking into that reveals the glory of God. Now so, some would suggest that that means that we are revealing the glory of God as we look in a mirror. But, but, but I don't think that that's appropriate. There's, there's certainly a sense in which Jesus should be seen in, my li- in our lives. But I don't think that that's what Paul is emphasizing here. I believe what Paul would have us to know is that when we behold Jesus, we behold him through the gospel. We behold him through the word. It's kind of like this. If, 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 if I were uh, in, in, in the restroom washing my hands and one of you came up and you were washing your hands and there was a mirror there and uh, we both looked up and we saw each other in the mirror and for whatever reason, this person just, just holds back and punches my reflection. Bear with me here. Would that, would that hurt? No. He didn't punch me. He punched my reflection. However, if, if this individual were to look up in the mirror and say, that is one ugly reflection. That would hurt. And he can't say, oh, no, 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 I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about your reflection. <laughs> because, because my reflection is me. My reflection is me. And, and, and I think that that's, that's what Paul's actually saying here, is that we look into the word and we see Jesus. Now, is this Jesus? No, it's not. We will see Jesus in a much more real way in heaven. But, but this is where he's revealed. This is where we see him. So in a very real way, in the word, we're looking like in a mirror. It's like we're looking in a mirror. We're not looking at him technically, but we are looking at him. We are beholding our Lord. And so for, for, for the Corinthians, they, they had the opportunity to behold the Lord through, through the gospels, through what Paul had presented to them in the gospel. They could behold Jesus and that's what he says. He compares them with Moses. He says, we all with an unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're beholding Jesus. We're beholding Jesus in a way that Moses never could. He could not see the glory of God. He could not see Jesus the way that we do. This is incredible truth. It's amazing. This is this is what the Christian does. We behold Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to Christ. We see Christ. We follow Christ. And, and if, if I can just challenge you again and how you do that, it's through your Bible. We have no hope. No hope in being transformed outside of the word of God. 
The word of God is not the only element in transformation, but, but, but this is how we see Jesus. It's amazing. God changes us as we fix our eyes on his son. Why Hebrews 12 calls us to consider him. Second, uh, Second Timothy 2 calls us to remember him, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And as we watch him and as we, as we follow him, as we are made more like him, God is changing us. Moses couldn't do that. Moses couldn't do that. So again, uh, I'm, be amazed. Look at this privileged position. Moses asked to see God's glory and God didn't show it to him. You get to see the glory of God in the face of Christ with an unveiled face with the whole body of Christ. It's unbelievable and it drives us to worship, to be amazed that God would transform us. I hope as, as we're... Traveling through this verse, you're starting to see how, how amazing this is, how incredible we have it. This fourth reason continues to drive that point home. The fourth reason to be amazed that God would transform you is your transformation is internal. Your transformation is internal. It's important to note that Moses' transformation, fundamentally, what's emphasized is Moses is coming down off of the mountain, is that his transformation was an external change. It was physical. That's not to say that, that there was not a change in, 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 in Moses' heart in any way, or that there was a, a change in his, his, his worship for God in any way. That was certainly there. But, but what's emphasized for us in Scripture is that his face changed. It was an external change. A shining face like Moses had is not our goal. Like we're, 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 not, we're not going along this path of transformation just waiting for the day when one day we become transformed enough and all of a sudden pff, our faces are all shining. That's not the goal. The goal is not, is not a physical in and of itself transformation, but rather that God changes us internally. There is an, an internal change. It's indicated in just the nature of the word transformed. Uh, when Pastor Rick was preaching Romans chapter 12, he, he, he broke this down so well for us. And so uh, I don't want to take too long to look at what exactly that word means. But, but one, one, of the helpful, one of the helpful illustrations is that our word metamorphosis comes from that. That there's an actual fundamental internal change with external proof. We are being transformed. We are being internally changed. That, that's what that word means. That's different than the effect that Moses' encounter with God had on him in the mountain. God is changing us from the inside out. It's not a, it's not a shining face. It's a changed heart. It's not merely external. It's a fundamental internal change. So be amazed that God would do that in you. That he would change you. Because we desperately need changed. We desperately need transformed. We desperately need God to transform us.
And he does. He changes us from the inside out. That's, that's so contrary to, to so much of how we, we, we may understand. We may understand change. It's kind of like this. You, you, may, you may resonate well with this. Um, I, I, I hate eating tomatoes. I hate them. I'm passionately opposed to that fruit. Um, I, I was... I was we had some neighbors that took my parents and I out on, on, a, on a dinner once and, and what they served at this restaurant, it was a nice restaurant, but all that they served was tomatoes and mozzarella. And uh, like I couldn't not eat and so I had to eat and so it was, it was, it was choking them down. It's difficult, hard to eat because I can't stand them. I think sometimes we may see transformation a little bit like that. It's like living for the glory of God, being changed. It's not, it's, it's not, like, it's not like we want to. It's not like an internal desire. It's just we, we can choke it down if we try hard enough. But, but what Moses is emphasizing, what, what, what Paul is emphasizing here is an actual internal change. There's, there's a fundamental change. Far greater than someone like me learning to like tomatoes. Like, it's, it's that type of a change. It's not someone learning to love something that they hate. It's someone being changed. Changed fundamentally and internally. And that there are then outward effects of that internal change. That's what God does in us. Our, our desires change. Our pursuits change. Our attitudes change. Our actions change. And that doesn't mean that there's no struggle with the flesh, but that there has been a fundamental internal change. When Paul says we are being transformed, that's what he means. That there is a fundamental internal change. And it's ongoing. As long as we're alive on this earth. That brings us to a fifth reason. A fifth reason to be amazed that God would transform you. And that is, your transformation makes you more like Jesus. Your transformation makes you more like Jesus. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory. We talked earlier about the fact that your transformation doesn't fade like Moses's did. Rather, and this essentially emphasizes the opposite of that, your transformation grows. Here, Paul explains what that growing process actually is. He explains what we are being transformed into. He says, we are being transformed into the same image. What is that same image? When he says we're, we're ongoing, internally being transformed into the same image. What's that image that he's referencing? Well, it's the image that he just talked about that's seen in the mirror. We are being changed into the same image. Means we are being changed to look more like Jesus. As we behold the glory of God, as we behold Jesus, we are being transformed to be more like Jesus. 
It's important to note just with the terminology of this verse. We're told we're being changed into the same image. We don't become Jesus, right? It's, it's not a process by which eventually we, we become Jesus. We're not changed into the same image in that sense. But rather over time that, that we look like Jesus. That over time we act like Jesus. That, that when others see you, they see Jesus. That's what transformation brings. Is God is internally changing us. He's making us more into the image of his son. Paul says we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Some translations may say from one degree of glory to another. In other words, this change starts with glory. You were saved from your sin and that's glorious. But there's more glorious things coming. We're being changed from glory to glory. And, and, and that glory is, is the glory of God, Jesus. We're being changed more in, into more and more glory. We're being changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. He is the very glory of God. And we become more like him. That's unbelievable. That is amazing, amazing truth. I want us to note something really important. As we noted earlier, we see Jesus through his word. And that is how God transforms us to look more like Jesus. We see Jesus, we become like Jesus. The way that we become like Jesus is by beholding him. That we, that we fix our eyes on him. That we pursue him. That God internally changes us to become more like him through that. We remain focused on our Savior and on our Lord. We look to Jesus and we become like Jesus. There's an interesting insight there that we will become like the things that we focus on. That in, that in focusing on Jesus, God transforms us to become like Jesus. Raises an awareness that we become like the things that we focus on. What are the chief things that you focus on? Is it, is it your career? Your, your, your appearance, your relationships, your spouse, sports, fill in the blank. None of these, e even, even things in there that are good, are to be the chief items of our focus. We behold Christ more than anything, more than everything. We fix our eyes on him. We pursue him. And all those other things are avenues through which we bring glory to him. But it's all in the context of a focus on Jesus. 
That's what drives all of those other things that we pour our time and energies into. If those are our chief focus, we're, we're missing the point. It's in focusing on Jesus that we are transformed by God to be more like Jesus. And so we become like what we focus on. Well, that brings us to a sixth reason, a sixth amazing truth. Sixth reason is you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I almost could have started with this truth. Transformation is completely impossible unless the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. That is a necessary prerequisite to being transformed. God gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who is a child of God. Anyone who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. Remember, this is a comparison. Moses did not have the Holy Spirit in the way that we do. And we could have all sorts of long discussions about the differences in the, in the way the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament and how he works in the New Testament. But suffice it to say for now that Moses did not have the Holy Spirit in him like you do. This whole chapter is devoted to showing why the ministry of the Spirit is better than the ministry of the law. Remember, you have the ministry of death, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of condemnation, and the ministry of the Spirit. And the Spirit is more glorious. Verse 17 is so important to understanding this properly. Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And, and, and what he's emphasizing here is not just a, a carte blanche freedom to do whatever you want, but that there is, there is freedom from the bondage that the law brought. There is freedom to obey. There's freedom to live obediently. There's freedom to live a life that's glorifying to God. There's, there's freedom to be transformed. The Holy Spirit is necessary for that. And God has given us that. Under the law, there is condemnation. You, you, we were in complete bondage to sin. But, but hallelujah. Because the Holy Spirit is in you. You are set free from that bondage. And free to obey God. So again, be amazed. Be amazed. At the, at the privileged position that God has put you in. Moses would have desired to have these, these six things. He, he would have wanted that. And so, and so if, there are, if there are emotions of, of inadequacy, of, of having nothing special that will motivate you to a life of obedience and, and service to God, of, of not having the motivation you need to live obediently, it's just not true. God has placed you in a privileged position. He has blessed us with that which we never deserve. So remember that and be amazed. Praise God. Worship God for what he's given us that we never deserved. It's an amazing transformation. 
and it's available to all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of their sin.